Hi, CityCast listeners. It's been 60 years since that Rice Stadium speech when John F. Kennedy announced the creation of NASA. And it's been more than 50 years since Houston was the first word ever said on the moon. Is Houston still Space City? Today, I am talking with David Alexander, the director of the Rice Space Institute and chair of the Greater Houston Partnerships Aerospace Committee, about Houston's space-going past and its space-going future. It's Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. David, thanks so much for talking with me today. The question I really wanted to get into is, is Houston still Space City, USA? Do we count? Of course we are, because I'm biased, right? I mean, <laughs> I, do, I do space stuff for, for a living. But no, I mean, I think we're kind of proud of our heritage. And I think um, what we don't want to do is kind of um, rest on our laurels, so to speak, on that heritage. Um, but I think we can justifiably and proudly still call ourselves Space City. I would say an unqualified yes. Oh, good. Okay. So let's start with that heritage. Why are we called Space City USA? How did we get there to begin with? Well, of course, the key aspect there was the um, location of NASA Johnson Space Center, or, or it was called in the day um, the Manned Spacecraft Center here in Houston. And it was named after um, you know the, the Vice President Lyndon, Lyndon Johnson. Um, Rice had a little bit of a role to play in that, but... Um, you know, in, in, in that location, a couple of Rice uh, roommates who were um, a congressman and a businessman, George R. Brown, for example, mm-hmm. kind of petitioned to have that center located here in Houston. Um, and of course, the announcement was made um, about going to the moon at Rice Stadium um, 60 years ago on September 12th. We're, oh. we're having a big event at Rice. We're working with NASA right now, planning that event. That was that famous Kennedy speech in Rice Stadium about why we choose to go to the moon? Exactly. So Rice was involved in some of that. And so that led, of course, to um, you know the Apollo program. And almost all the astronauts um, in that program uh, basically came to Houston, lived in Houston. The launches were from Florida, of course, but all the astronaut training, all of the mission control and so on was done from Houston. And, of course, the first word said on the moon, apart from a couple of uh, unintelligible syllables, was was Houston. And I think since then, you know, there's been a number of things happened that make people kind of question, as you say, why, why are we even questioning if we're still space city? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the space exploration has changed wildly since the 1960s. It, ha- it has, you know, in, in, in many different ways. You know, in those days, of course, it was kind of, it was called the Manned Spacecraft Center for a reason, right? <laughs> it was really it was really fighter pilots, and, and which, of course, were uh, women were not allowed to be. And so we, uh, the idea was that they had, uh, they could perform under pressure, they had great uh, anti-eye coordination and so on. That was where the fighter pilots came in. And that whole that whole thing changed when we when we built the space shuttle and you could have much larger crews and it was a, a kind of different kind of design and the way of getting to space. That opened the possibility for a wide range of different kinds of astronauts, including non-military, including scientists, of course, women, big part of that, um, and uh, and that kind of led to where we are today, where basically. Um, the astronaut crews tend to be, you know, 50-50 men, women. They tend to come from, still some from the military, but, but tend to come from quite a broad range of disciplines. And, of course, a much more international 
um, set of partnerships. So I think of so much of the energy these days being on the private side, um, somewhat intentionally, you know, because NASA has been steering those private investments. And lots of those are not located here in Houston, those centers of control. Well, we, we, well so, so yeah, so we are getting better at that. And I think this is where, where the Houston spaceport comes in. But, but again, when it comes to human spaceflight, that is all, that is all essentially, uh, again, apart from the launch, that's mm-hmm. governed by, um, by what happens in Houston. There was always companies involved, right? Lockheed Martins and Boeings and Northrop Grumman's and aerospace. You know, there was a lot of uh, NASA contractors, basically. But yes. they were, mm-hmm. I would, yeah, they would be billed as NASA contractors rather than private or commercial enterprises. So now the model is rather than giving a one-off contract um, to build a specific device, what happens now is that NASA works with companies like ones that everybody's heard of now, SpaceX and and Blue Origin and and uh, companies like that. Yeah. So how is Houston involved? I mean, you were mentioning the Houston spaceport. Could you tell right. us a bit more about that? Yeah, so the Houston spaceport got the license in June of 2015 to a commercial license from the Federal Aviation Authority. Um, Houston was the 10th commercial spaceport um, to be licensed in such a way. And what is a spaceport? Um, Just backing up. So so again, yeah, so so spaceport, so it's, it's an interesting, I've been involved with them since the beginning. I tried to argue not to call it a spaceport. <laughs> the reason I argued against it being called a spaceport was because we really were going to be focusing on the development of an aerospace cluster um, doing things like building spacecraft or building, you know, building capabilities. Not so much on the launch, but if a launch provider came by, we the, the license was there to accommodate them as long as they were horizontal. So horizontal, that's like when the thing being launched into space kind of piggybacks on an aircraft that's flying? So it meant that we had all the safety and all the environmental aspects all covered. Mm-hmm. and we could then work with, with a horizontal operator. But that wasn't what we were going to wait for, because if we had done that, we'd still be waiting. Um, and so the idea was to build an aerospace cluster. And so calling it a port for me at the time meant that people would come and go, oh, when are we launching? How can we launch? What are we launching? And why aren't we seeing any launches? Yeah. Um, and and so that's that was kind of my concern. I wanted to call it a space gateway or a space hub or something. Mm-hmm. But I've been proven wrong because the the <laughs> picture of a spaceport does in people's minds is it brings them brings it to their attention, um, and you know, and it makes them think of it in the way that I was hoping they would think about it, which is a hub and a gateway. And so, what we've seen at the Houston spaceport is a huge growth in um, you know the development of of space missions um, at Ellington Field. Ellington was the, it's the third of the the three main airports managed by the Houston airport system. Um, and just with the recent announcements, there's up to $4 billion of new economic development with you know, up to 2,000, maybe even 3,000 jobs occurring wow. at the spaceport. Um, with San Jacinto College, there's a, a, a thing called the Edge Center, which is a training facility to mm-hmm. bring uh, you know, those technician skills into that industry. And, um, and again, that helps capture the commercial aspects of this new space world that we were talking about, and at the same time, allows them to partner with their neighbors down the road, which is the NASA Johnson Space Center. So in part, 
we're building the workforce that that's a key, that is a key component the, yeah. the the pipeline and and the next generation not just of scientists and engineers but the people that we need to help build i mean for instance i'm a scientist mm -hmm. and you would not want me to walk into one of those machines and fix the electronics you would not <laughs> Or smart, you would not fly on that particular device. Uh -huh. So we need to train. We need to train people in those skills, and we need to make um, young people aware that there's an opportunity for them in in the space world and the aerospace world here in Houston. So people can learn to be basically space mechanics and things like yeah, that. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you if you if you go back to the the heritage discussion, you know, mm -hmm. many of the or probably all of the Apollo astronauts were very careful to point out that. Um, there wasn't many of them, but it took 400,000 people around the country to put them there and to yeah. get them into space and bring them home safely. So so that is the workforce. So this could have a really large effect. So what about plans to go back to the moon? Well, that's what the, the first uh, Artemis one. So there's the Artemis program, mm -hmm. um, which is, um, if you know a little bit of your mythology, Artemis was a sister of Apollo. Mm -hmm. And so the idea is to uh, return to the moon, but do it sustainably. And so the first leg of that um, endeavor is the Artemis one launch, which currently is scheduled for the end of this month. And that's August. NASA. That's NASA Artemis launch um, that we're flying mm -hmm. um, a Boeing um, capsule, the Orion, and be launched on the, the space launch system. Um, a lot of the support structure for the Artemis mission is being carried out by these commercial companies. Uh, you know, the, the, in fact, there's a company at uh, Houston uh, Spaceport called Intuitive Machines, who hopefully by the end of this year will have launched the first ever commercial lander to the moon. So other than uh, the the only people who have made or the only entities that have made a soft landing on the moon have been the US, uh, Soviet Union slash Russia and China as nation states. And so um, this will be the next soft landing and it will be done by a commercial company here in Houston. So this return to the moon is a big focus. Um, it's a combination not just of, well, it's a combination of exploration and science. Uh -huh. Um, whereas traditionally those have been kind of separate. So a lot, of, a lot of really interesting things on the science and technology side coming out of that. You know, we can do some of these things easily on the Earth, but on the Moon, um, obviously the temperature range is, is, is huge. Um, nighttime is two weeks long. Yeah. So you, so you have to survive the night. Um, you have to be able to generate power. Uh, all these different things that make it really challenging, and that brings innovation into the play, and that allows a number, a larger number of participants to take part, not just the big, what they call the primes, but innovation from a lot of different fields, you know, the energy industry, for example. So NASA's relationship to all these private space entities is what? They're not competing. That's not it at all. It's it's not no, and I think that I think that sometimes in people's minds, it's um, especially especially when you look at you know the, the how how to say this, the, let me call it the personalities, the personalities of the people. <laughs> oh, they're big, these, <laughs> right? These these space companies, uh -huh. right? They're larger than life. They're they're doing uh, I think a lot of uh, good things when it comes to particularly in the space side of things. You know, I don't think they get enough credit for that. To be fair to them. But at the same time, it does look like, oh, look how look how much they're doing compared to what NASA's doing, and and I think that's unfair on NASA because you know if Elon Musk blows up a rocket, it's development, 
if NASA was to blow up a rocket, that's your taxpayers' money. And next thing, everybody's there's congressional hearings, and there's a whole bunch of uh, you know uh, mm -hmm. stuff comes down on NASA. So NASA different. has to be NASA has to be careful. They have to be you know safety is a prime uh, responsibility. And I should point out that um, you know people always say we're spending too much in this space uh, in space. None of the money is spent in space. There's no alien ATMs <laughs> out there taking our, taking our money. It's all it's all spent here on the ground in jobs and development and so on. And so, um, so I think that the relationship it's just changed in terms of how they do the contracts. It's changed in terms of how they um, make use of the, the capabilities. But it, it's still a strong relationship, and it's done. I mean, NASA's goal is to provide capabilities for the United States of America. Um, so they don't, they, you know, any technology gets developed, companies can get access to that, and and they can go off and make money on it. Um, NASA doesn't kind of, you know, they they're not in the business of going out and being commercial themselves, but they help support small businesses and and a range of commercial entities again because they are a national asset. Yeah. So just to sum up, how do you see Houston's future in space? We will be Space City USA? I think with, with the development of mm -hmm. the spaceport, there's now more of a, a lean into the commercial side of things as well. So, so you know, there is a lot. When it comes to the commercial side, we are facing a lot of uh, challenges. You know, obviously, Florida, you would think of as a space, a space state. Alabama yeah. um, has a lot going there. Now, these, these have NASA centers. California. Yeah, I mean, in Colorado oh, and yeah. Washington. I mean, there's a whole range of, and in the commercial side of things, um, there's a lot of competition. And we need to keep our game uh, at a high level if we're going to compete with, you know, I'm talking Texas as a state as well as Houston itself, mm -hmm. but we need to be be kind of strategic in what we want to do and how we do it. We have a lot of resources that we can rely on, and NASA obviously being one of the primes. First of all, I think we need to be supporting the United States to stay at the forefront of, of uh, space exploration and space science and space commercialization. Um, there's more countries coming along, coming along and competing for some of that space, no pun intended. China, of course, is being um, is stepped up as a major nation now as opposed to just it being Russia. So there's a lot of challenges there that we have to work with. Um, we, uh, within the United States, of course, from the point of view of Houston, we need to be able to provide a value to these companies um, uh, that allows them to come here instead of going to one of these other states. Um, so it depends on how you look at it. My perspective, um, you know, I'm, I'm an American citizen, but I'm not originally from here. So I just, I, I just anybody who can make space work is is good for me. Mm -hmm. But, but you know, we, we're at home in Houston, and we're yeah, and, and you're I here for a reason. Exactly, and I think that's I think it's important for us to keep that competition level high. We are finding, and just to to sort of underline that comment about us being Space City um, still um, in the last. So I'm on the I'm the chair of the Great Houston Partnership Zero Space Committee, which is a new committee now. Um, we have seen a huge amount of interest from a number of foreign nations looking to connect on the business side, on the commercial side, with Houston. Oh, because they see the value of being here. It's not just NASA because these a lot of these companies cannot get NASA contracts because they're foreign based. But what they want to do is is partner with uh, Houston entities to look at. 
how their technology could be applied here, how they could learn from people here to take their technology back. All these different things are happening. And so there's a, there's a, there's, I've seen personally just a, a huge increase in in the in inquiries, if you like, as to how they can engage in Houston. Oh, this is fascinating. So we wouldn't be Space City USA so much as Space City, period, Space City Earth. <laughs> Yeah, well, in a way, you know, think, maybe that's ambitious, but no, no. Yeah. Well, no, no. I think I, I mean maybe I'm being a bit jingoistic here. Oh, but let's if you're go. <laughs> if, you're, if you're a space city within the United States, uh-huh. you're a space city in the world right now. Yeah, all oh, that is good to hear. All right, David, thank you so much for talking with us. Yeah, sorry for bumping my gums. I go off, I go off the rails <laughs> a bit when it comes to space. <laughs> oh, it's fascinating. That was David Alexander. Now. I am here with producer Farrell Gibbs. Farrell, what else is going on in Houston news today? Thank you, Lisa. Well, according to the Texas Medical Center's most updated data, it appears as if our most recent COVID spike may have peaked. For the second consecutive week, hospitalizations have trended down, as well as positivity rate of COVID tests and, of course, the wastewater tests that they conduct to determine the amounts of COVID in our treatment plants. According to Dr. James McDevitt of Baylor College of Medicine, we could have peaked about a week to 10 days ago or so, and he expects that trend downward to continue. That said, according to the Medical Center data, there is still a lot of the BA5 strain out there in the community, but doctors do seem optimistic that we are headed in the right direction. That is it for our show today. If y'all want more CityCast Houston, follow us on Instagram. We are at CityCast Houston. We'll be back tomorrow. Talk with you then. Just make sure you edit out my William Shatner comment because Blue Origin, there's a big rival between those guys and I don't know. Oh, yeah, and the Trekkies would be all over us too. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.